you know, John the Apostle was present when they said, uh, by what name did you do this? That was John and Peter, cornered by the authorities. And Peter responds, if you're wondering why this fellow is standing before you, hold now. It's by the name of Jesus of Nazareth that this happened, and there is no other name. So this is a song that John would have appreciated. There is no other name, Jesus. And I think John could have wrote that other one too. Heaven meets earth with an unforeseen kiss. My heart turns violently inside of my chest. Heaven meets earth with an unforeseen kiss. I don't know who wrote those words. I'm going to have to find out. But I know enough about the Apostle John to know he could have embraced that poetry. Who would have foreseen that the Father would love us like this? We're such a mess. And yet he loves us. And in 1 John chapter 5, we continue with the theme that the beloved apostle has made his own through this entire letter. Love first. My intention is to finish up this letter next week. All right? And there are some, some surprises at the end of the letter. So I will have read through... We will have read together through all five chapters of this letter this summer. I have not commented on everything in the letter. I hope maybe if you're still musing on it like many have indicated to me they are, that you'll read through it again. Make your own notes and think about what the apostle is saying in this wonderful book. And today, the victory that overcomes the world Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Verse 1, 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. 
Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Plain words from the Apostle. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. We're watching pictures of overcomers, like Pistorius, that sprinter from South Africa, the Blade Runner. Was there ever a guy who was a better picture of an overcomer, overcoming difficulty, trial, and hardship to run in the Olympics? It was inspiring to watch him run that 400 meter and qualify for the semifinals. He is a double amputee. They took his legs off above the knees before he was one year old. The word here for victory is Nike. Yeah, that's the Greek word for victory. In its root form, it's only used here in the New Testament. The victory that overcomes the world. The Nike that overcomes the world. In Greek mythology, Nike was the goddess of strength, speed, and victory. The corresponding goddess in the Roman pantheon was Victoria. And John is using not only the root word, the victory that overcomes the world, but when he says overcomes, he's using the verb form of the noun. So it is the victory that victories over the world. Even our faith. And John says, everybody who is born of God overcomes the world. When you read your New Testament, you read about regeneration. You read about being born again. It is the confrontation with Nicodemus where Jesus first discloses that a man must be born again. It's in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus is startled by that. But John grasps on it as a follower of Jesus. And again and again he talks, being about, uh, talks about being born of God and born again. And here in this chapter he uses the phrase born of God three times. In the passage I've just read twice. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Hey, what does it mean to overcome the world? Would you describe yourself as an overcomer? Or do you feel like you've been run over? Not an overcomer, but a runneth over kind of beat up by the world sometimes disappointed in ourselves frequently John loves the world uh, the word overcomes 
he uses it again and again not only here in this letter but also in the book of Revelation in fact the book of Revelation is where the victory word is turned into a verb more than anywhere else in the Bible and the world is dead set against the church when John writes the Revelation he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos and God gives him a vision of things which were, things which are, and things which are to come. And he communicates to the church that is beleaguered by the government that is suffering under the organized persecution from the emperor, and people are dying. And they're saying to themselves, what does this mean? What is a world like this about? How can the followers of Jesus suffer in this way? And over and over again, John talks to the church, the suffering church, about how they overcome. In Revelation 12, 11, he says, they overcome through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives, even unto death. Overcoming is about persevering. It's about you hanging in there. Right now, today, when you feel like you're at the end of your rope and you can't take another step, like spiritually you're flattened out and there's no more in you, it's about you persevering and sticking to it. Even when there's nothing less even when it's all gone. If you can serve your heart and nerve and sinew long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will that says to you, hold on. That's what it is to grow up. That's what it is to mature. That's what it is to be perfected in love. It is the Olympic trials, right? And spiritually, some of you are in the Olympic trials. And it's tested every part of you and parts you didn't know you had. Your patience and your faith and your love They've all been tested beyond your ability to endure. And the winners are those who, having given everything they've got, still push on when there's nothing left except the will to say, Lord, not me, but you. And I will do this. And see, at the Olympic those Olympic athletes got it easy. I'm telling you. I know they train and train and train, but they know what winning is, right? And they know what the trial is. They know what the enemy is. They know what the hurdles are. They know where the hurdles are. They know how high they have to jump. And some of those athletes so skilled on the track field get into real life and get flattened just like you because it's tougher. 
to be faithful to the Christ who called you and gave his life for you. It's tougher in that trial than any trial you'll meet on the track field or the swimming pool. Athletics is about the simplified understanding of what it means to be a winner in the game of life. It brings it down to the minute, to the second, to the hurdle, to the goal. And all of these things apply in you if you're going to have the Nike. The Nike that overcomes the world. There are lots of ways the word world is used in the Bible. Last week, I had you quote with me John 3.16 so we could look at a tiny word, so... I want us to say it again. Put it up on the screen for us, okay? John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what I want to call your attention to is not the word so, but the word world. you might be startled to know there's a long discussion of centuries about what the word world means here. The Greek lexicon I use identifies eight different meanings of the word world. I will illustrate it from John chapter 1 verse 4, where John writes about the Word made flesh, that he was in the world. I have a picture for in the world. That's my brother at the Grand Canyon, Tom. He'll be delighted to know that you all saw him today. What's in the world mean? Well, it means in the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. What's that conjure up? Maybe something like this globe. The world was made by him. I get it. He's in the world. The world was made by him. And then John says, and the world knew him not. And all of a sudden, your mind is wrenched from geography and astronomy to people who are conscious, intelligent, volitional, walking around on the planet. And the word world means the people who didn't know him, the lost world, the evil system, the world that is full of error and sin. And John uses the word world like this frequently. In John 3.16, God so loved the world. Heaven meets earth with an unforeseen kiss. God so loved the world. The world means the people in the world. And I think being consistent with John, it means all the people in the world. 
Just as he says in his epistle twice that Jesus died for the sin, not just of the world, but of the holoskomos, the whole world. He modifies the word world, so we'll get it for sure and expand the boundaries of our understanding to all the people on the planet. When John uses the word world in chapter 2 of his letter, He's saying, love not the world. What world is this? The world that has the cravings of the evil desire, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the boasting of what he has done. This world, everything passes away about this world. It is temporary. So when John in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, talks about not loving the world, that's the word That's the meaning for everyone born of God overcomes the world. So what are you fighting? What stiff wind is blowing in your face? You decided to follow Jesus. You made a commitment, and as soon as you did, kapow, it hit you. It's like the... The book of Acts calls that stiff wind the Uroquillo. It was against us, and we had to fight it, he says, as they traveled on the Mediterranean Sea. You you make your decision that you're going this way, and all of a sudden you're hit with this fierce opposition. The world can be people who don't understand, or maybe people who understand and disagree. The world can be errors of thinking and doing, and the world can be evil that is expressed through other people, through systems, fallen systems, and even in your own heart. This is the victory that overcomes the world, that stays true to Christ through the conflict and the trouble, that makes it over the hurdle, that qualifies beyond the trials. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Do you know how volitional faith is? How much you decide in the moment to trust the God who made you and sent his son to die for you? Do you know how important it is for you in this moment of your life to choose faith, to trust him? We've said all through this letter that John is calling us to love and that love and faith are intertwined almost inseparably in the whole teaching of the letter. John's call at the end of this letter is to believe in Jesus. He wants us to believe. This is the victory. Even our faith Jesus in John chapter 14 said, you believe in God, believe also in me. It's not just believing in God. It's not just trusting God. The Son of God and God the Father are trying to make a transfer of your faith and your trust from the God who made you to the Son who gave his life for you. 
He who loves the father loves the child also, John starts out this chapter with. And some people think, including the translators of the NIV, that that's the family of faith. That if you love the father, you love the family of faith. And that's certainly true. We love one another. But I think it's also true that he who loves the father, capital F, loves the child, capital C. And you got to make that transfer. Hey, if you're going to have any victory in this world, you got to move on past believing in God to complete faith and absolute surrender to Christ, to trusting him. And he's calling you to it. And John is calling you to it. He wants you to make this step. Believe in Jesus. John sums it up at the end of this passage. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. It's as simple as that. You believe in God? Oh, you do well, James says at one place. The devils also believe and tremble. So where are you going to go past this intellectual assent that there is a divine being? It's not enough. Not if you're going to be a winner. Not if you're going to overcome the world. Not if you're going to experience what God has for you in your time and place. You've got to take another step. Not just mentally saying, I believe there's a God. Believing in Jesus, his son. Why would you do that? Because you believe the testimony God has given. God has taken the stand in this matter of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be intolerant bigots. Do you know that? Are you awake out there? All right. That's not what we want. But you have every right to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, okay? And to say it in this culture. And the freedom to make such an exclusive claim is guaranteed for you in our Bill of Rights. It is guaranteed for you that you can go into the public square and say, I believe Jesus is the one and only Son of God. Not everybody in the world has that freedom to go into the public square and proclaim what you believe about Jesus. You can bear testimony. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You go into the public square and you share your testimony. One day, you will be in heaven as a believer, standing side by side with people who in many various times and cultures made the confession that Jesus is Lord and paid the ultimate price. They died. They loved not their lives even unto death under the reign of Titus and Emperor Domitian and for 16 different organized persecutions in the first years of the life of the church of Jesus Christ. And now, even in our time and place, in various parts of the world, it is a scandal, it is illegal to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, and you will be beside them. 
They will be next to you. These people who laid down their lives for the confession that Jesus is Christ. Will you be silenced by political correctness? <laughs> hey, are we going to shut our mouths so as not to offend anybody who doesn't think anybody should make an exclusive claim? Heaven forbid that we should be silent while Jesus went to the cross for us. He held his tongue while they crucified him. Like a sheep before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. In order that you in the moment of divine appointment may open yours. God has given his testimony about Jesus. It comes from the Father. It is threefold. It is water, blood, and spirit. Water bears testimony in that the baby Jesus in the womb of his mother floated in the water like all unborn babies do. Her water broke and baby Jesus came out. It is the incarnation of God in Christ to which the Father points as his testimony and when he comes of age the perfect lamb of God calls John the Baptist to plunge him into the water again why? it is the initiation of his public ministry and the father again bears testimony and says this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased there are three that bear witness the blood also he was flesh and blood just as you are God became man fully man in Jesus of Nazareth this is the testimony of God carried forward by water and blood so that when the spear went into his side as he hung upon the cross, John records that water and blood poured forth from his side. Both water and blood are agents of cleansing in all of the scripture. The priests would wash their hands. There was, in fact, a laver for such a purpose as this. Baptism, too, is a symbol of washing, the washing of water, the cleansing from sin. And the blood is a cleansing agent as well. And so the father bears witness to his son by saying, I have sent him into the world as full man, as man like you are, 
becoming in every aspect human so that he might redeem you in every aspect of your humanity. He assumes full humanity in order that he might rescue you fully and every part of you, every dimension of you, your words and your doing, your thoughts and your behavior, he touches it all. And the Spirit bears witness in the same regard. The Spirit unleashed in the world who calls men to the Father through the Son. People gather in places like this. I myself am bearing witness right now to the glorious truth of God's Son made manifest in Jesus of Nazareth. It is my privilege Sunday after Sunday to bear testimony to this truth. I remember the day when I received by faith Jesus as my Savior and Lord and the Holy Spirit touched my heart and my mind. That's why it is permanently recorded in my heart and soul. And all these years I remember when God touched my life and the Spirit spoke to me even as a boy and again and again as an adult. And so John says, look, there are three bearing witness. It is the water, the blood, and the Spirit. The Scripture says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Spirit of God in the midst of his church. When Paul talks about evangelism in the corporate setting as we gather for worship, he says a lost man ought to come into the presence of the people of God and look around him as they worship and say to himself, this is amazing. God is in this place. And falling down, he repents of his sin and surrenders his heart. That's First John, that's First Corinthians 14. The people of God ought to be so engaged in the elevation of the holy name of God and the wonder of the Savior that those who do not know him are startled and amazed and want to know him now. That's the work of the Spirit in the life and body of the church. John says at the conclusion, he who has the Son has life. Do you have the Son? Have you been born again? Are you born of God? Is that true about you? If you do not have the Son, you do not have life. That's verse 12. God is giving his testimony. See, it's not up to you how you come to know God. It's up to you in the moment of the Spirit's call to say yes. That's all you can do. You don't create your own way. You don't fashion your religion. You don't figure it out intellectually. You don't get smart enough that you finally understand God. God bears testimony. This is how it will be. He made the world. He made you. You are a sinner. He acted to rescue you from your sin. 
He did so by sending his one and only son into the world that you might live through him. You receive forgiveness of sin. You come into the family of God solely and only through what Jesus did at Calvary. That's it. That's why the scripture says, Jesus speaking, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through it's why Sunday by Sunday I call you to trust in the Christ who loves you and laid down his life for you because this is the testimony God bears and the way he is made and there is no other bow with me please if when you honestly look inside of your heart you know that you do not have Jesus as Savior and Lord he's not living in you you've never trusted him really you've never received him into your life I encourage you right now to open the door by just praying Lord I know I'm a sinner I'm sorry for my sin please forgive me I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose again the third day and I want to give my life to you would you make that prayer and in a moment would you tell one of our prayer counselors Lord we commit this moment to you thanking you that your Holy Spirit is right now calling men and women young people college students boys and girls to yourself we trust you to do your work now help us to give the answer yes to your call in Jesus' name, amen.